You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm sure you, uh, like myself, uh, watched with horror the events earlier in the week as uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, began to burn. And the phenomenon that we saw on the internet while the cathedral burned and even in its aftermath were you and I putting up pictures of ourselves posing in front of the cathedral or inside the cathedral. There was something inside of all of us which made the burning of Notre Dame personal because we'd been there. And it seemed surreal to us that it was, that it was even happening. But as we watched it happen, we identified with it and we put our pictures up on social media. And the author of Hebrews is actually encouraging us to do the same thing with two different pictures. The first picture that he wants us to see and wants us to see us being a part of is the Day of the Atonement in the Old Testament. And the second picture is for us to see ourselves there on that hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago where the Lord Jesus Christ was executed. In the first instance, Hebrews wants us to see ourselves as a part of the Day of the Atonement in the Old Testament. And the author of Hebrews has gone to great lengths leading up to this passage in chapter 10 to talk about what that day meant. It was the holiest day in all of Israel, the Day of the Atonement, when the high priest himself would make an offering on behalf of the sins of the entire people of Israel. He would pray over one goat that all the sins of the nation would be laid upon that goat, tie a red cord around its neck, and then send it out into the wilderness, representing that God would take their sins and make them far away as the east is from the west. But then he would take a second goat, and they would slaughter that goat. And then he would make offerings for himself and for his family because he was about to enter into the Holy of Holies. This is where the ark stood, the mercy seat, the place where God's presence dwelt. And only once a year, on one day, one man went into that place. It was such a holy place that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest. Because if he were to encounter the presence of God in an unworthy manner, he would surely die and nobody was going in after him. And so there he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of Christ. And so it's with this in mind that he begins to paint the picture of how Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross is not just an even greater sacrifice, but the ultimate sacrifice for God's people. 
where it was one man going into one place once a year. But it was over and over and over again. Every year this went, went forth and, and happened. And yet the author of Hebrews tells us, but in this case with Jesus Christ and the cross, it happened with one man, one time, once for all. For all of God's people. He describes it this way, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. After he had done this, after he had gone to the cross, After he had ascended into heaven, after being raised from the dead, what did Jesus do? He sat down, indicating that there's nothing left to do. It's done. The assurance of the forgiveness of your sins is completed. You only sit down when you're done your job. Jesus sits where the high priest in the temple He stands. And so he begins to elaborate on what is it that Jesus' cross accomplished for us. If the the blood of bulls and goats do not have the power to take away sin, what has Jesus' blood done for us? Well, he starts to outline it here in our passage this morning. First off, he says that I will make a new covenant with them after those days. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. That we will be joined to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The cross is not some abstract idea. It's not just a theological concept. It's not even just an event. It's about a person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's no sheep, he's no bull, he's no goat. Because only God can bridge that gap. God comes and dwells amongst us, and God does that work. And so for us to understand the forgiveness of sins means to enter into a relationship with him and to be joined with him in which God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. He begins to change our hearts. He gives us, in fact, a new heart. And he writes his laws on our hearts, and he writes them on our minds. And God says, I'm not going to remember their sins and their lawless deeds anymore. Do we really understand God's perfect memory? I don't know about you, but the older I get, and and I still have a good ways to go, I hope, but the more I find how imperfect my memory is. I'll hear something or I'll see something and I'll think, I have to remember that. Or someone will say something or do something to me and I'll think, I need to forget that. And yet what happens? I can never remember that which I want to remember and I can't forget that which I wish I could forget. And yet God tells us here, that I'm the only person in the universe that actually has the ability to remember what I want to remember 
and to forget what I want to forget. Because you see, in the Old Testament, we're told that the blood of the sacrifice covered the sins of the people. It covered the sins of the people. Someone once remarked to my mother that she had a strange uh, design to how she would hang pictures in our homes. And she said, well, the boys, there were three of us boys, they determine where the pictures are, are hung. And with that, she removed one and there was a hole in the drywall where one of us had gone through it. The picture covered it, but it was still there. Another way to look at it is the fact that we have a new puppy in the house, 15 weeks old, cute, but terrible. And of course, we're trying to house train the dog. And the dog has mistakes. And after scolding the dog and rubbing its nose in it and casting the dog out and helping it to learn what its responsibility is and what it looks like to live in our family, uh, we administer a degree of forgiveness to the dog. We can't simply rub its nose in it forever. There has to be an element of forgiveness and, and moving on from that point. But even in spite of that, somebody's got to clean up the mess. It's not enough just to say, there, there, you're forgiven. And what if I were to simply take a towel, even the nicest of towels, and cover up the mistake? The stench of it would still be in the air. And even though it's covered and you can't see it every time you would walk into the room, you would know there it is. And so it is too that the sacrifices in the Old Testament actually were a reminder to God and to us of sin, not forgiveness. But the reason why the priest had to go in year after year was a reminder that sin existed. And to simply cover it up didn't do away with it. But in fact, God has done away with it through His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. He's taken all the filth. He's covered Himself in all the stench. And God sees it no more. For the first time in history, the sins of the world have been separated from God as far as the East is from the West. And it was necessary. It was necessary. Because where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It brings an end to our attempts of striving to reconcile ourselves to God. And it declares that it is finished, for Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we now have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened up to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And therefore, we have a great high priest over the house of God. The cross is a necessity. Blood is a necessity. 
Indeed, we read in chapter 9, verse 22, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The cross is not God's plan B. It's not as if when we fell in the Garden of Eden that God says, Well, now what am I going to do? But in fact, it was the plan from the very beginning of time. The cross was necessary. It is certainly true to say that the cross is the greatest demonstration of love that God could show to fallen humanity. But what if it were just that? What if the cross were simply a demonstration of love? Well, God, why are you doing this? Surely, if God could simply say, your sins are forgiven and that's it, then he would do it. That was Jesus' prayer, wasn't it? That this cup would pass from me. If there's another way, heavenly Father, make it so. But no, the cross was necessary. And if it were simply reduced to an act of love, we would be right to say that God is capricious and arbitrary, and that as one bishop once said, that he is guilty of cosmic child abuse. Can you imagine? Well, I've done it because I love you. Surely there could have been another way, and there are other ways to show that you love me. Why would you go to such great lengths to show your love for me? And the Bible tells us because it was necessary. There's no other way except through the blood of Jesus Christ that a fallen and sinful humanity might be reconciled to our God and Heavenly Father. And so it would be that when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies on that Day of Atonement, like Aaron and his sons before him, they would take blood and they would place it on their right earlobe, on their right thumb, and on their right big toe. For they went into the Holy of Holies with an identifying marker that says, I am coming through the blood of the one who was sacrificed. And yet that blood would be washed off. That blood would fade. And yet for those of us who are putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are marked by Christ's blood and we are His forever. The marks of which are indelible on our own bodies as His Holy Spirit reigns within us. It cannot be taken away. And the Holy Spirit impresses that upon us day in and day out because of His great mercy. Before I came to this service this morning, I went to visit with a parishioner who was probably within a week of their own death. This person has forgotten their own name, who their spouse is, who their children is. But as I knelt beside their bedside and I told them of Jesus' great love for them, and of what he did for them upon the cross, their eyes widened and tears began to well up. You can forget everything in this world. 
You can even struggle with remembering what Jesus has done for you. But when you've been washed in his blood, Jesus will never forget you. And so it is that the author of Hebrews says that we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, meaning that we can be honest with God when we come before Him. That we can be real with God. Because the greatest temptation that we face as human beings is to be unreal with God. We would rather have the reputation of godliness than the reality. Are you being real with God? How are you coming into His presence? Are you trying to come in by some other means other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you looking for some other way other than the cross? Because the reality is that God's presence strips us bare. We stand before Him completely naked. And He sees us as we are. And yet so many of us, so many of us still attempt to have a relationship with God by another way. Like those Hebrew Christians that the author was writing to of old, they were looking back at shadows. They were looking at other ways in order to reconcile themselves to God and to have a relationship with Him. Now it may be that you're not sacrificing goats in your backyard. But certainly, all of us are trying to climb a false spiritual ladder to God. You might say, well, I'm, I have a relationship with God because I'm a good person. Or because I try my best to follow the Ten Commandments. Or because I go to church. Or even because I pray. But you know, you don't have to be a Christian to do any of those things. To be a Christian, according to Hebrews, is to possess the ability and freedom to approach the throne of grace with a clear conscience sprinkled with blood. Only by grace can we enter, and only by the blood of Jesus can we stand. And so when we stand before Him, do we come before Him honestly? Do we come to Him pleading His merits and His merits alone? For this is the way that God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, before thy cross, I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused thee to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. It's worth infinite 
its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures, creatures subserve my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me, thy heart hastens to my rescue, thy love endured my curse, thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, and triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. In the name of the one who has died for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.